The person I know that's in the hospital is Bird Wyatt, and Bird is recovering from an amputation, and he is in 412. If you happen to be over uh, at the Coliseum Hospital, he has visitors after 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and he's doing well, but he's got a long way to go. So uh, he's very thankful for all the encouragement that you all are uh, giving him, and please continue. We're good. Family can get away with anything. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for our food, and we're thankful for one another, and we're really thankful for the way you tend to our lives and care for us. We think of our friend Bird, and we think, well, he's in the hospital, and this is very difficult. And yet so many people from this church are right there with him. And we're mindful, if it was us, that you would have your people right there with us. And so this gives us great comfort and peace. And help us uh, to feed on your word and to be led by Jesus to understand the life that we should live and mature and grow our faith and our desire to serve you. Now bless this time together in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like you to turn to Mark 4, and as you get to Mark 4, and I want you to do one other thing, I'd like you to turn to page 950. So from Mark 4, you can just kind of go back to page 950, and when you get there, you'll see that you're in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. Now, when you look at the 16th chapter of the book of Romans and you just kind of look down the page of the 16th chapter of the book of Romans, what you're going to see is just name after name after name. These are all the people that were a member of that church that Paul was familiar with. So when Paul writes the book of Romans, he is sending personal greetings to people who are in the church, the church that's in Rome. Now, I just want you to see all those names and think, my goodness, my name could be there. Names of my friends, names of people in this room, why, could be our name on, on that page. Well, now it's about 10 years later. Paul's been to Rome. He's written a number of the letters that he's uh, written to smaller churches in Asia Minor. Um, in fact, it, it's 10 years later, and Paul's died there in Rome. He was executed by the Roman authorities. A little later than that, Peter's being executed. Nero has burned Rome. Nero is blaming the burning of Rome on the Christians. And the people that you see on that page of Romans chapter 16, why that church, that church has had the letter to the book, what we call the epistle to the Romans, they've had it for 10 years. Now just think if that, that letter had been written to your church by Paul and you had put in practice all that 
that book of Romans uh, teaches, and uh, you had that wonderful foundation that you see in the 16th chapter, why this church in Rome, this church in Rome would be a healthy, large church. Nero has just blamed the burning of Rome on the people whose names you're looking at in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. I'm trying to make it personal. I'm trying to help you get a feel for the fact. The other day, our Sunday school uh, president in the Canterbury class uh, came to the Sunday school lectern, and he said, um, you know, they cut the heads off those men there on the beach in uh, North Africa the other day. You saw the pictures of those men. He says, I'm going to read you their names. He had the names of all those men. You know, when you read the na- had the names read to you, it got a little more personal. These just aren't people. They're people with names. I want you to think like that. Now, this church is undergoing persecution. Mark is a pastor. He's a pastor of this church now. After Peter and Paul have been put to death, after a wholesale persecution has been instigated against the church, and he is picking and choosing the things that he is going to write. Now, he's going to do something that's never been done before. Mark's going to do something that's never, ever been done. This is the first time he's writing a gospel. There's no Matthew. There's no Luke. When Mark writes his gospel some years later, Luke and Matthew look at his gospel. And then they add to it to write their gospels. But this is the first one. And it's written to this church that's being persecuted. Now, in the fourth chapter of the gospel, we're going to be introduced to a series of parables that Jesus spoke. Now, we shouldn't think that he spoke them maybe just in the order that they're given here. That's almost certainly not what happened. But what has happened is that Mark, in the chapter just before this, has told us about how the family of Jesus have come to grips with this multitude of thousands of people that keep coming to their son, their brother. And they've never seen anything like this. This has got no equal in their mind. And these people are coming and they're being healed. Demons are being cast out. And there's so many people, it says that Jesus doesn't even have time to eat. He and the disciples. The family of Jesus thinks that Jesus has become unhinged. That's their, do you hear, belief 
in Jesus by his family? No. Now, up from Jerusalem have come the scribes. The scribes have come up because they've heard of the popularity of Jesus and the thousands of people that are gathered around him. And they've come to an opinion in a repeated accusation that Jesus is possessed by a demon and is in league with a prince of demons called Beelzebul. Now, that's the situation, that's the official line. Now, the multitude, the multitude that's coming, they're okay with Jesus' teaching. That's, that's okay. As long as he keeps performing miracles and healing people, we can deal with his teaching. But that's really not why they're there. Now, Jesus, as a result of this, has created his own family. And that family is centered around what's called the Twelve. That's the intimate part of the family. And then there's an extended group of people. We're not told in Mark just exactly the size of it, but there's a good number of people, maybe 100, 150, that are really with Jesus and with the Twelve. That's kind of the situation here in, in the Gospel. Now, the main thing to see is there's general unbelief. Then, beyond the general unbelief, there is a general uncertainty. Just what is Jesus about? And then, there are those people that know Jesus, and Jesus knows them, and Je Jesus is nurturing them and ministering to them, but they're living, the, the, that close cadre of people are living with this multitude, they're living in the environment of the officials bringing their uh, accusations against Jesus, uh, all of that's going on, and Jesus has his family. Now Jesus begins to talk, now listen, primarily to the family. So that's what we're getting into in chapter 4, primarily to the family. So Jesus says he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he, Jesus, was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Now that's the important word. You hear it? Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, 
and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil, and it produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Listen. That's what Jesus is saying. It's important for you to listen. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, this is the family now. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sowed. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. Those who hear the word... But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters in and chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, A lamp is brought. Into is brought in to be put under a basket. Excuse me. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, he's saying, listen. And he said to them, pay attention, listen to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has more, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? 
It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, and as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. What's going on here? For Mark, for the disciples, there's an immense amount of tribulation and persecution going on all around wherever they're at. Remember when Jesus arrested Saul of Tarsus? Remember his words to Saul? Twice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wherever a Christian is being persecuted, it's, it's directly a persecution of Jesus Christ through that Christian. And that's what Jesus is telling Saul in that event. Mark and Jesus were great pastors of their people. They wanted both of them that their people be given clear ideas so that they could have clear direction on the reality of things. For most of us, the reality of things are the things merely that we experience with our eyes and our ears, things that we experience in the forms of of travails or persecutions. But Jesus is always trying, Mark is always trying, to open the mind's eye, the eye of faith. That's what's going on with the parables. Now, let's just look at the first parable for a moment and think about it. Here is what the multitude is seeing. The multitude is looking probably out behind the lake and up on the hill, probably someone sowing seed. That's probably what's happening as Jesus speaks this parable. And what they know that we don't know is no one turned over the soil first. You know, when you go out to farmland today, people turn up the earth and then they put down the seed. In this culture, all the land was farmland out there, and so the land couldn't be turned over like that, it would erode. And so what would happen at sowing time, here would be this land, it had been uncultivated for a year, and the men would go out and cast seed. They would just cast seed and cast seed and cast seed. Now after the seed is all on the ground, then they would come over the whole of that field with a plow turning the seed over into the soil. That's the way it was done. You wouldn't know where all these things were, and so you would just sow. Now, what the world sees is something like this. What a terrible waste. What a terrible waste 
Some of that got eaten up by the birds because it landed on this very hard path-type ground. That's terrible. What a waste. Some of it was wasted because, can you believe, they threw seed out on rocky land. That was foolish. Or they saw the thorns. Why did they throw the seed there? Well, so much for the world. What about you? What about me? What do we see? Here's what we're to see that there was a portion of that ground where seed was thrown, where the harvest was some 30, some part of the field was good, some of it fell where the seed produced 60, that was excellent. But some of that seed fell and it produced a stupendous 100% yield. All right? Now, I know some of you. (laughs) You have long since betrayed yourself, okay? (laughs) Is the glass half empty or half full? Do you see the rocky ground? Do you see the thorns? Do you see the hard ground? Well, you can bet that your glass is the half full glass. With the eyes that Jesus wants to see, it's on the ground that produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Which eyes do you have? The eyes of the world or the eyes of faith and of Christ? What is this gospel about? We're told in the very first sentence it's the gospel about Jesus, the Christ, men must believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of God. The first eight chapters are given over to the disciples, the ones that are being instructed here, coming to understand that Jesus is the Christ. The second half of the book ends in chapter 15, where the Roman centurion says, indeed, this man was the son of God. We're to be doing things in distributing the seed of that gospel message indiscriminately. You don't know the hearts. I don't know the hearts. So we're to tell people, we're to invite people to be a part of the fellowship of the family of God And we don't know whether that seed is falling, and we should not really try to make that discrimination ourselves. It's up to God. But if we don't sow, we won't what? Reap. But if we sow, believe me, some of your seed is going to fall on a part of the soil that is going to produce a stupendous outcome. That is what Jesus is trying to tell these disciples. This is what Mark, as a pastor, is trying to tell a persecuted lot of Christians. We have to sow the seed. Be careful not to be discriminating. Just sow it.
You know, there was a story of the Roman persecution later than this in which it had become fashionable to uh, have role plays and dramas about the persecuted Christians. And one of these persecuted Christians acting out the role was, was doing it quite well. And he was on the stage and everybody was laughing. And he was saying, oh, I, I see, I see, I see. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. And people are what? As he says this line. They're laughing. Oh, I see. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Jesus is the Son of God. And what are they doing now? They're really laughing. In the presentation, the actor was converted. And then the real pathos comes out as he confesses that he really believes what he just said. And it was off to the lions with him. That's what happens. We can't be discriminating. Now, when we look at this passage, it moves along here, and he talks about a lamp. Now, this we have an unfortunate problem in all of our translations in verse 21. If you look there, the way that should be written is lamp should have the definite article in front of it. It should say the lamp. Now the other problem is they've translated this verb into a lamp being brought. That's not the way it's written. The way it's written is comes. So the sentence says in the original Greek the lamp comes. Now, the idea is that Jesus is the lamp, and that the lamp comes, and this is what the disciples are being told. Your witness isn't to take the lamp and put it under a basket or under the, bre under the bed. The lamp comes to be put on the lampstand. God's intention isn't that this become a mystery or stay a mystery or say something that's obscure. But God's idea in Jesus' coming is that this light, this lamp, would be manifested and out there. And that this is the goal that God is telling the, the Christians in Rome. There's going to come a time when... Uh, this is going to be uh, a completely Christianized area. Remember the quote that I read to you last week from Tertullian, where I said, Tertullian says, we're just of yesterday, but now we fill your theaters, we fill your courts, we fill, fill your senates, we fill your marketplace. All that we've left you is your temples and your gods. That happened in 300 years. The lamp comes and the light 
God intends everybody to see it. The kingdoms of our Lord will become the kingdoms of our Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. On this thing in the second half of this, it talks about pay attention. It talks about the way you measure. How does this fall on your ears? How does it fall into your heart? Mark's idea is, and Jesus' idea is, that we would greedily take it to ourselves. That we would just absorb this truth about Jesus. And we would be those people, well, you're demonstrating that you're a part of it. You're here. You could be somewhere else. But because the word's going to be open and there's some fellowship, you're here. You want to be here. And the idea is that when we receive the word of God in that way in this life, that in the life to come, what's going to be given to us, where we measure it greatly here, it will be given to us then in the benefit of this in such unbelievable measure that we will not be able to comprehend it. But there are people, it's saying here, that are like the ground that has the weeds or the stones and things such as that. Um, They're not going to receive it. And even what has been given to them will be taken away because they don't value it. That's what Jesus is saying, and this is what Mark is shaping to reinforce here. Now... In the parable that follows, the idea is that there is this seed that's scattered on the ground again. And the person who sows the seed basically goes on with the routine of their life, night and day, but he doesn't know how this seed is is growing in all of this. Here's what he does know. There comes a time and it's ready to be reaped, and he's going for it. The idea is at the end, what's there going to be? In God's end, what is this parable teaching us? In the end, there is going to be a divine harvest that's beyond our wildest comprehension. That's what Jesus is saying. Mark's Roman audience in persecution needs to have their mind on the power of God and the end that God has in mind. Look at the next one. What can we compare the kingdom of God to? Well, it was proverbial in the culture of Jesus that the the seed of mustard was the smallest of the seeds of that part of the world. But when you took this mustard seed and you planted it and it grew up, the type of plant that came was a large garden plant, and it was large enough for the birds literally to nest in. And the idea is not the smallness of the seed. The idea is, in reality, the largeness of the plant. We see things of small beginnings, We have no idea of what God's going to do with it. You know, there was a Scottish pastor, 
And as I understand, he was 50 years in the same church. After 50 years in the same church, he had one convert. How does this rate by current standards today? How did that pastor do? Is that what we're looking for? No, we like results, don't we? Well, you know, it changes when you know the name of the convert. What if the name of the convert was a guy by the name of Bunyan, John Bunyan? What difference does that make? Was that worth this 50 years of sowing for one convert named John Bunyan? It's reality. Small beginnings, great result at the end. Notice the next one. With what shall we do with these parables? When we take these parables in, each one of them focuses on the conclusion, not the details. Each one of them focuses on the greatness of a harvest, a greatness of an ending, the glory of God. Let me just read you an idea that comes from Psalm 126. Psalm 126 talks about people that are oppressed. That's the primary thought. It says, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with joyful shouting. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Then the people say, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams of the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. The, the focus is on the end. We look out at our culture, we see a lot to lament. We need to be realizing that all the time, in every place, at every hour, in the darkest of places, the kingdom of God is advancing, advancing in the hearts and minds of people. We need to be a part of sowing in that, and we need to be expectant that the outcome is going to be just as it's described right here. What do you do with these things? You kind of remind each other when you get depressed. Remember the mustard seed. Don't get depressed. Remember what happens when you sow a seed. We need to be out there sowing a seed. Hey, you never know. That might have fallen on that ground that's going to produce 30, 60, or 100. We've got to keep at this. Just think of the joy it's going to be when Jesus returns and this harvest is reaped. Let's pray. 
Now bless us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we can understand such things and that we can understand them in the depths of our being and be a part of what you're doing in this world to bring glory to Christ, to advance the gospel in the hearts and minds of people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.